Good morning, guys. This is the Agen Podcast. I'm your host, Oliver Conley, and today we're on episode four of Wise Words, and we've got Ryan Wardell. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Pleasure to be here. Good to see you again, Ollie. No, it's great to have you on. So um, Ryan and I, we met in a like a Slack mastermind chat. I think it was last year, yeah. mid last year in the summer. And um, yeah, we got to, you know, we just kept in touch every you know, now and again. Uh, so Ryan, you've had loads of experience. And I think you're the man for sales, especially when it comes to SaaS, so software as a service, businesses. And uh, it's, it's amazing to have you on. So awesome. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, yeah. it's a pleasure as always. Great. So uh, today, Ryan and I, we're going to be talking about how to build a business outside of Silicon Valley. So you listeners out there, if you're thinking of starting a business or you've got an idea in your mind, but you're not sure how to start, this is going to be a great podcast for you to listen to, you know, understanding your customer, you know, how to sell and uh, lots of amazing things there. So firstly, Ryan, just for our listeners, just give us a bit of background on yourself. So, so, all right, uh, the, the, the story in a, in a nutshell, um, I'm, I'm 33 years old. I'm essentially unemployable by this point. I've had one proper job in my life and I quit as soon as I was able to. That was a, that was a grudge job more than anything else. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so I, I finished uni um, in 2008, just as the whole economic crisis mm. thing happened. And there is not a better time in the world to walk out with an economics degree <laughs> than when the whole world economy is, is, is shutting down. So a few of my mates went, went traveling for a while um, or they, you know, worked behind a bar or were flipping burgers or just doing something like that, waiting for, for, for the job market to improve. Um, I decided I was going to start a business and, and that tank, that was a, that was a, a student discount card. Um, but I launched that at the same time, Spreets and Scoopon and Groupon and yeah. all the, all, all the kind of daily deal sites launched. Um, so I kind of went from that into another one, into another one. So I had, I had probably three businesses that tanked before wow. I hit on something that worked. Um, so, so the first business that I set up that really worked was in the crowdfunding space. My, my younger brother was a, um, an aspiring filmmaker. So a lot of his friends were using, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff like that to raise money for movies. Um, so I saw that model and saw that at the time I'm from Australia and there, there, there was a funding gap for early stage businesses, people who wanted to, you know, and especially outside the tech world, it's mm. just impossible. If you wanted to raise money, you, you went to a bank and mortgaged your house or you put everything on credit card and that was it. That was all you had available to you. So um, we set up a business in the crowdfunding space, um, sold it about a year later. Um, so got in and got out fairly quick. Uh, but there we ask how much. Uh, it was less than a million dollars is what I'm going to tell you. It's a good start to, for a young entrepreneur. It's, it's, look, it, it was, it's not life-changing. It was enough to go and lay on the beach for a little while and kick back and think about what I was going to do next. It's still one more exit most people have, so I'll take it. Um, but I came out of that experience and uh, the, along the way, I, I got involved in the startup community in Sydney, which was really nascent at the time, and now it's a lot more established. Um, and, and I met a whole bunch of people that really changed my viewpoint on entrepreneurship. So up until that point in time, you know, I, uh, I did a few business classes at university, none of which was applicable to, to anything I've done. I can relate to that. that, that and I think that as well. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> they, 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 they try their best, but the, the best and brightest entrepreneurs they're useless. are not, they're not at universities. They're not, at, they're not being professors. Um, I, I went to, and, and something you might relate to in, in the UK. Um, I think in the UK, you've got, they call them catapult or something. They're basically these small businesses, small business centers set up by. Yeah. Like incubators, right? Right. Right. So, so I went to, to a few of those in, uh, when I was in Sydney, but the, the issue with them is that they are small business people, not entrepreneurs. 
So the kind of people running them had the best of intentions and tried their best to help out, but they were people who had run cafes yeah. or local print shops, you know, like, like solid business is nothing wrong with that, but there is a fundamental difference between running a business where the business model is known. Um, you, you, you understand you're selling pretty much the same thing at pretty much the same price point to pretty much the same customers as everyone else doing yeah, that. It's commoditized. Okay. Um, and, and, and I didn't really learn a whole lot from, from that experience. The, 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 the light bulb moment for me was when um, I started going to some co-working spaces and I started meeting other tech entrepreneurs and started learning from them. And, uh, and, and so I spent probably the first year, I, my liver would hate me for this now, but <laughs> I went out and had beers with everyone, coffee with everyone. I met everyone. I, I remember when, when I got there, there was, um, there was a, a group called Push Start and they were putting together a list of mentors and so there were 150 mentors on this website. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm a young guy. I want to I get into this business thing, into this entrepreneurship game. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to start in the top left and work my way down. And, and over the course of about a year, I met, I think I got through about half of that list. Um, some of them were in Sydney, some of them were overseas, some of them were international. Um, but I met a whole bunch of people, learned a lot along the way. Um, now, I, I, think, I think if you're starting a business today, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this might be different to, to your experience, Ollie, but um, there is this tech crunch effect mm. where if, 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 you know, if you're a young kid thinking about starting a business, you've, you've watched the TV show Silicon Valley, you've probably watched Shark Tank on TV, um, you, you've read about, you know, all these amazing Silicon Valley startups in tech crunch. And, and they quit uni and now they're yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and so 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 they 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 did one one semester at university, dropped out, raised a couple of million bucks, um, <laughs> did, built yeah. a, a billion dollar business by the time they were nineteen. Or, you know, like okay, yeah. so, so that that that's like the one percent of the one percent. You've got a much better chance of winning the lottery than you do of that yeah. actually happening. Um, but but I, I you know I, I believe that for a very long time. I think we're all I guilty think. of it, to be honest. They, they make it seem so sexy is the thing. Yeah. They, they make it seem like this, this, this thing. But I, I remember when, when, when I was in my early 20s, I had this, this thing that if I could just get across to Silicon Valley, then everything would, everything would magically click into place. Um, and, and years later, I did. I, I went over to Silicon Valley. A few of my friends had, had moved there. They were living wow. in San Francisco or the Valley proper. Um, I, I lasted about two weeks there. And then I thought, this place sucks. It's not what they <laughs> make it out then? Thing. So it's, well, well you're, you're in the UK, so, so take it's this with a grain of salt, yeah, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm hot-blooded. I need, so, so San Francisco is cold and wet and gray and dreary and miserable. Are 365 sure days a year. America there? It sounds like England. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, that, that is yeah. San Francisco. Exactly. Wow, okay. um, the, the, the irony is I moved from there to London a few years later, so I didn't really learn my lesson, but, yeah. um, but, but it's, it's, it's cold and miserable. It is expensive. Uh, it's a bubble. There are some of the smartest people in the, in the world in this really confined geographic area. You go to a coffee shop and someone over there is talking about mining asteroids. Someone over there is telling you about how they've already cured cancer, how they, how they roll it out. These are the conversations going around you. So it's, it's wow. a fascinating place to, to drop into. But, um, but that's all people ever talk about. It's, it's just this, this giant tech bubble and it's so insular. Everyone just focuses on what's going on in the valley and it completely ignores what's going on outside yeah. in the rest of the world. So um, I sort of came out of that experience pretty, pretty humbled. And I, I had, this, you know, I had this, this thing I was building towards for years and then I got there and I thought, oh, okay, well, that, that kind of sucks. So I, I didn't really know what to do. Um, also ran out of money by that point. Yeah, that's so, a big issue as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to do. To, it's such an expensive city. So, um, so what I was doing is I, I was I'd I'd, uh, I'd I'd sold my previous business, um, took up a few jobs here and there, um, looked at setting up a couple of things. Nothing really kind of clicked into place. So I thought, stuff it. I 
it's about 27 by this point, 28, something like that. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm single. I don't have a house. Don't have any kids <clears throat> that I know of. Don't have anything really kind of weighing me down. Um, and I, you know, I, I picked up some marketing skills along the way, which I could do from anywhere. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go and do the whole digital nomad thing and yeah. go and explore the world and build a business as I go. That seemed really sexy at the time too. Um, and I, I ended up, uh, in, I met this very, uh, very angry little Welshman, uh, redheaded guy named Sam, who became my business partner uh, about a year later. So he went one way around the world and I went the other way around the world. And um, we met in this, on, on top of a rooftop in this bar in, in Thailand, as you do. Um, and then he moved back to the UK. I went the other way around the world and we landed, uh, uh, I moved to London and we started, we started a, a growth marketing agency in London, ran that for a few years. There. Nice. Um, so, so along the way, um, my philosophy on what you need to start and grow a successful business has, has kind of changed quite a bit. Um, I, I think I, I talk to a lot of particularly younger first time entrepreneurs now, and they do have the, the kind of Silicon Valley blinkers on um, the, 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 nobody ever really talks about the downsides of that. Um, so if, if you, you know, you, you raise a couple of million dollars and everybody thinks, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. But you've given up 30% of your company to do so mm-hmm. you do that two or three more times. And then that's why you see these founders and they've got these billion dollar companies and they own 3% of it. So, so you have to sell it for a billion dollars to get any money back. Sweat and tears into it and the sacrifice, you know, right? I mean, what would you say is the, the biggest sacrifice you have to make in terms of young, you know, this young entrepreneur sort of journey? So uh, in terms, when you say sacrifice, do you mean that in terms of a, a sacrifice that you willingly make or a sacrifice that maybe you don't think about you don't think about it. because i think a lot of people i mean especially myself i know that i sacrifice a lot of social hours in order to yeah. put into it but I, I consciously do that whereas i think when you're in the you know the blinker mode yeah you do miss it so what would you say are the things upon reflection that you do miss and you don't understand that sacrifice until afterwards well i, I think i think a lot of personal relationships suffer mm-hmm. um and and the number of entrepreneurs especially too when you think about the the high like 90 percent of startups fail so you got a nine out of 10 chance of this going sideways and you're spending years of your life, all of your money, you come out of that broke. Um, so the, the number of people I talk to who've uh, now divorced as a result of entrepreneurship, um, just about every, every even successful startups or uh, st- uh, startup founders I've, I've ever met um, got all sorts of mental health issues, um, depression, anxiety through the roof. Um, they call bipolar disorder. They, they, they nickname it the CEO's disease. Um, so, so every, Every entrepreneur I've met, there's something about them that's a little bit unhinged, I think. And, 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 and I don't know if that's a result of entrepreneurship or if unhinged people choose that choose path that. because they can't do anything else. <laughs> so. I think it's a, that's a hard one to, to judge. But I, I know, Ryan, you, you've sort of your most recent venture, which we're, I'm, I'm hearing is very successful now as well, which is awesome, is a, a startup source. So just give us a bit of background to what you're doing there. And, and what would you say also is the number one reason why that, you think has been successful in the early stages, mm. apart from your other ones, which didn't go quite well. So, so with with startup source, so startup source actually kind of uh, evolved quite a bit. We we that started off as a domain name I bought because I thought I might do something with. I might start a blog, and then five years later, I'd written zero blog posts and thought we should do something else with it. So we used it for the for the growth agency for a while, oh, okay. um, and and that was great. But it's kind of morphed into something else now. So, um, and that that probably leads into something we, we we should talk about, which is I've been thinking quite a bit about lately, um, in terms of uh, business models and how you find how you start a business. Um, I think that one of the mistakes that I see 
particularly technical founders make is, is they take a, a product first approach. Um, and, and you see this even with really smart, really successful people. Um, they will build something that they think is cool and then try and find an audience for it. Yeah. Um, I, I took that, I'm guilty of doing that. I think, I think we all are that, that was the first thing. And then, um, but, but you're fundamentally starting off with something that nobody has ever indicated that they want. Um, and then, then you get into, and this is kind of the conventional wisdom now I, I hear a lot of people giving out. Uh, if you've heard the term product market fit, minimum mm. viable products. Um, so that is, that is a problem solution approach. So what you do is you find a problem that needs solving, then you build a solution to that problem, and then you tweak that solution a little bit until it perfectly fits with, with, with the market and someone's willing to pay you for it. Hey, presto, you've got a business and, and you can go. Now, the, the problem with that or the limitation of that is um, you can have the best solution to a really painful problem, but all that doesn't matter if you can't get it in front of customers in a yeah. way that is economically viable. It's just, it's going to cost you too much. It's too difficult or whatever. Um, so, so in, in growth circles, people, people talk about product channel fit. People talk about all, all sorts of things. So with startup source now, I'm taking a, a different approach and this might be really interesting for, for some of your listeners. So I'm taking an audience first approach. And what I mean by that is you pick a group of people that have all sorts of problems, but you understand those people really, really well. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you pick one problem that they've got and you build a product or a service around that. Then you find another problem that they've got, you build a product or a service around that. Now, that's, that's got a few advantages. Um, the first one is that you, you can acquire a customer once. And then once they're in your web, once they're in your ecosystem, they find themselves needing this thing and this thing and this thing and something else. And so, so you pay that acquisition cost once, but the lifetime value of that customer just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every yeah. time you launch. Upsells, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the the other thing is, I don't know if you, you've talked about um, or you've heard about the, the whole kind of castle and moat analogy. You build your castle, which is your business, and then you build a moat around it, which is the the bit that's defensible, the bit that stops someone else coming in and taking it or copying you. Oh, or I haven't heard that one, but it sounds interesting. Yeah, no, go on. So, so, so the thing about that, when you're talking about um, this, is, this is something you'll hear uh, if you, if you, if you are raising money and you're talking to investors, they'll say, well, what's stopping Google or Facebook from just copying you? Yeah. Um, so, so defensibility is really important. Um, when you take an audience first approach, um, every time you build a product or service around that, you are digging an extra layer of your moat. If you think, so now you've got five rings of defense around it and it makes it harder and harder and harder for someone to copy you because they can only copy one element of what you're doing. They can't copy the whole thing all at once. Yeah. Um, so, so I think if, and this is the advice that I tend to give people nowadays, if, if you are interested in starting a business or you're thinking about it, find a group of people that you, you understand reasonably well. And that, that could be anyone that could be, um, uh, you know, uh, pick a hobby that you're interested in. Um, I know a guy who started a forum for photographers and it grew to be one of the largest uh, photography form- forums on the internet. And um, and that, that was fine because you, you can sell cameras, you can sell all sorts of equipment and everybody oh, needs loads of courses awesome. and everybody needs, yeah. you know, mentorship. And there's all kinds of things you, you, can, you can put around that. But once you've got a critical mass of people who love what you're doing, um, I don't know if, if, if you've ever heard about this, but there, there, there was a guy called Kevin Kelly who wrote a blog post that always kind of sat in the back of my head that really stuck with me a few years ago. And it was called 1,000 True Fans. 1,000 True be- Fans. 1,000 True Fans. Google it. Um, check, check it out. Yeah. So, so the idea behind it is that with the advent of the internet, um, it's, it's, it's easy for niche markets to now kind of be big enough for you, you to be able to reach enough people, uh, even in a small, small niche, 
to make a viable business. And, and this is true of any creative endeavor. So if you're a musician or an artist uh, or, a, or, um, or anything, anything, an entrepreneur, for example, any kind of creative pursuit, if you can get a thousand people who just fucking love what you're doing, um, you've got a business, you're fine, you're, you're, you're viable. You never have to worry about money ever again because they will buy whatever you, you put in front of them. Um, and they will help you and they'll spread the word. You are far better off having a thousand people who love what you're doing than a hundred thousand people who, eh, yeah, it's okay, yeah, I don't really care yeah. that much. Um, and, and I think a, a really good example of that is, so, so let, me, let me explain, let me kind of outline the, the business model that we've got for Startup Source because I think that, that might be quite interesting. Um, so at the center of Startup Source are SaaS founders outside of Silicon Valley. So software as a service, um, entrepreneurs who are based outside of Silicon Valley. Um, now they, they have a whole lot of different problems. They need customers. They need to figure out how to run their business. They've got to hire people. They need to find trustworthy suppliers. Uh, they need to sort out the financing thing. Maybe they need to raise capital. Maybe they need some other way of getting cash. Maybe they need some other you know, stuff. There's all sorts of problems there. Um, and, and especially if you're outside of Silicon Valley, a lot of the network effects, a lot of the, the, the communities, a lot of the introductions that just kind of happen when you're in the valley, you yeah, don't have access to. It's harder. Um, e e even, if you, even if you're in, you know, the, the, like um, London has a massive tech scene, New York has a massive tech scene, Sydney has a, a pretty big tech scene, but they're not the valley. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in this community, they, they tend to be, you know, they're, they're guys in their 30s, 40s, 50s. They've got kids. Um, one, one guy lives on the south coast of Spain because that's where he wants to be. He likes getting up and going surfing in, in, in the morning. And that's what he wants to do. Um, so so, so that's, that's kind of the middle of, of, of Startup Source. And everything, everything we do is based, based around that. So the, the very first thing that we put in place was a community. It was just a place where we could bring these people together and they could learn from each other. Now, there's lots of Facebook groups out there where, where people can do yeah, that. Yeah. But, but reading stuff on a Facebook group is not the same as getting on a phone call and actually talking through problems that you've got at, at length. Live interaction. Live, yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and getting feedback from other business owners who play at your level. So, for example, we, we have a requirement that you're making at least $5,000 a month before you can join the group. And that keeps the discussion focused on, on mm. actually growing a business rather than starting one. And also that um, scale as well, that other community members relate to the same exactly. problem as well. Exactly. Right? And, and, and you'll find that people, people in there either, you know, maybe they're a few steps ahead, maybe they're a few steps behind, but, mm. but because they've been through it recently, um, like a lot of people who blog about this stuff or investors, their experience was 20 years ago. The game's changed quite a bit since then. Yeah. So talking to people who are going through this stuff right now is super valuable. Um, and then, you know, you can make introductions to other, other, other people who can help. Um, you know, you, you need a good copywriter. Actually, yeah, I know a guy I used last week. Yeah. You know, you need a, a good PPC person. My, my Facebook ads guy is awesome. Let me introduce you. You get all that stuff happening. You just don't get that out of a, uh, you know, a Facebook group or a forum that's a little bit less, less personal. Um, so that was, that was kind of the, the first point. But really what, what our mission is with, with Startup Source is, is if you think about everything you need as a SaaS founder outside of Silicon Valley, um, so, so there, is, there is a community component to it. You want to network, you want to meet other entrepreneurs, you want to learn from each other. Like the Silicon vibe in a way. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're kind of replacing all the benefits of, of being in Silicon Valley and, and recreating that virtually for, for SaaS founders. But then, then there's, there's a learning component to it uh, as well. So that's... There, that, that's courses, that's um, getting expert speakers to come and mm. give a talk, that's getting some of the people from within the community to share their experience. Um, and, and they mo may not share that stuff publicly because there's only, you know, there's only 
so many things you want to reveal when you don't know who's listening, right? But if you know that everybody in, in, in the community you can, you can talk about numbers, you can talk about money, you can talk about all sorts of sensitive stuff. Um, there is, a, you know, one of the other problems that we're solving right now. So, so we, we recently launched a done-for-you cold email outreach service uh, for specifically for SaaS. And the reason is, um, especially when you're starting out, cold email is usually the most cost-effective way of getting customers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and a, lot of, a lot of guys in the community, I showed them how to do it. And they said, that sounds great, Ryan. I don't have time. Can you just do it for me? Okay, sure. So, so, so what we're starting to do is, you know, when I talked about building those moats before. So now if you join Startup Source, you get access to that community, you get access to all the learning materials and all the guest speakers. Um, you can use the cold email service if you want to. So now you've got a way of getting, picking up more customers. Um, all these things are starting to click into place. And where, where we want to eventually take it is we want to want to close that loop. So we want to have a list of recommended service providers that are all vetted by the members. So, you know, if you need someone or you need a tool or, a, or an agency. Or everyone that you need, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah but but there's a, a quality filter in place. So you're not going to waste your time on, on sharks who are going to... Otherwise, you might as well just go on Google, right? Exactly. Right, right, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And and where we really want to end up is, you know, when, when it finally gets to a point where you're ready to either raise money or sell your business, we can put you in touch with people who can help you do that. And then, and then, so, so the whole idea is if you're building a business outside of Silicon Valley, you join startup source and we've got all these layers in place that can help accelerate your growth, help you grow faster, help you be more successful right up until the point where you're ready to either sell it or take it to the next level. And then we can, we can help you do that too. So that's uh, closing that loop is kind of something that we, we, we talk about internally. Um, but I think, I think for a lot of, a lot of your listeners, that model might be quite interesting uh, mm-hmm. because we didn't start with, you know, we, we started with with one problem, but it was quite an intangible one. So, okay, so, so what are we actually solving here? They they want to meet other SaaS founders, but there's lots of other ways they could do that. So, so um, but with each successive uh, product or service that we put into place, becoming a part of startups or somehow just gets more and more, more effective. More value. Yeah, and there's, there's a whole lot of other ways for people to kind of get sucked into our universe. And once they're in there, they find that there's all these other you things. You can't escape. And, and it's exactly. like uh, we're, uh, Ryan and I, we're, we're both in a, like a mastermind group, right? Mm. Which is similar. And I think that you and Scott, Scott, the founder, you you sort of were in touch at the start of both your journeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that feeling of me being a member of that, like I'm reliant on that. And although I yeah. don't go to every week, I know that the value of that community is so strong that you don't want to leave it. And you go back yeah. to that, thousand fans the true fans yeah you know, like if when you build that community because the loyalty is there the value is yeah. there you can then you know demand higher prices you can upsell on those kind of areas you can expand and i love that model because i think that a lot of people especially in sort of social media crazes now especially young people it's always about numbers and the, yeah. the higher they are but not necessarily it's the quality yeah. there which i think uh, i love that about that model as well I, I think I think what what people sometimes lose sight of is that at the end of the day, people do business with other people, and if you if you remove that personal aspect, it's so much harder. Um, I think if if you if you join any community, and this is something I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of, join mm-hmm. lots of communities, get involved in lots of communities, meet lots of people, make lots of friends with other business owners because they can open doors, they can make introductions. Um, like with with the, the cold email service that we're running now, about um, and, and even the community, about half of the members who are in there now came from referral from people who were already in there because they're having a great experience and this is this is that's something that you're probably not going to get if you took like a you know you post a bunch of stuff on instagram and it's really impersonal and at arm's length (laughs) people just don't feel that kind of connection so 
Um, I it's think that personal touch. I think the, the especially the Zoom calls or like the, the video calls, for example, I think they work really well. So when you're developing, how many members do you have now at the moment? In stocks. Uh, we are 70, wow. between 70 and 80. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so from, from the first member, during that process from going one to 70, whatever, what have you learned during the sales process when you're trying to get people on a call to, to obviously it's a paid uh, community, right? Yeah. What, yeah. what kind of things have you learned during that process in so, my understanding? So, so, and this, uh, I, I would probably do a few things differently if I had, if I had my time over again, funnily enough. But um, one of the things that we did that I think was, was the right decision early on was we looked around at all the other communities that existed out there. Um, and, and the interesting thing about communities is if you think communities are valuable, you're not just in one, you're in lots of communities. If you don't think communities are valuable, you're in none. Um, so, so most people who are in our community are in lots of other communities as well, Already. which is great because, which is, which, which is fine. So, um, so, so, so one thing to be aware of is you're not asking people to choose you instead of something else. You are choosing, they're choosing you alongside something it's else. It's a complimentary. So to, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and so all you need to do is just to, to be able to clearly explain well, this is what they do really well. This is what you get out of being in that community. But what you get out of being in this community that you don't get out of that community is, is this other thing. And, and for us, it was um, the calls, that personal connection. Um, and so we, we made a decision not to allow direct competitors in very early on. Mm. We may need to change that uh, at, at some point when we grow, but right now um, it, it doesn't really make sense. So what that means is that people will openly share numbers. People will talk about problems. People will be, be vulnerable because being, being a business owner is that, that you come across problems that you've never dealt with before on a daily basis and you don't know how to deal with them. Um, we, we had one guy who, who had a competitor who just like copied his entire website, like pixel for pixel, just changed the name and the logo. Um, and he had to send a cease and desist letter. Now, I don't know about you, Ollie, but when I was doing business at university, nobody ever sat us down and no. showed us this is how you, you write a cease and desist letter. Um, a few people in the group are lawyers, so they were able to help him out with that. So, um, but but awesome. if not for that, how would you have solved that problem? Just like mm -hmm. Googling around and finding some random template that probably wouldn't have even And it's worked. also difficult to expose that. You can't just go around on the internet, especially if your company's got a bit of traction or you've got a lot of customers. Mm -hmm. it, you can't just openly say that with your name. And, it, and it's, I think that community feel, that family feel is really mm -hmm. important because it's, you are in a bubble in a way where Absolutely. you can expose a couple of your cards because harsh world of business, you can't really do that, you know, publicly necessarily as well. Absolutely. And one, one other thing I've found, so, so uh, there's, there's about 20% of the, the group are doing more than a million dollars a year in revenue. Wow. There's one guy who's doing like 20 or $30 million, um, totally bootstrapped, did not raise a dollar of, of outside capital. I don't think he's got any What's business. What's the business? Partners. He owns, I'm not going to tell you, but he owns, okay. he owns a hundred, he owns a hundred percent of that. Um, I would so much rather be in his shoes owning hundred percent of a business that does 20 or $30 million a year, rather than owning 3% of some Silicon Valley unicorn where you're working a squillion hours and you know, all you're ending, all you do at yeah, the end of the day is yeah. make a whole bunch of VCs rich. Um, but I think one, one, one of the interesting points that I've found um, geographically so, so when we kind of look, because we've got people all, all over the world now, um, we've got people in the, in the Caribbean, people in South America, people in uh, Australia and Southeast Asia, Europe, um, something 18 or 19 different countries now. Um, and the really interesting thing about that is um, kind of that hybrid between what, what, what we're doing and the whole digital nomad movement. Because um, when I was a digital nomad, if you imagine there's a, there's a spectrum and, and at one end of that, you've got people who just want to keep traveling. And they'll, you know, they'll do whatever they can to keep, keep traveling. They're not really business people. They're, they're, you know, they want to pick up some freelance writing gigs or they'll do whatever just to get to the next place yeah. and buy another bowl of noodles. But at the other end, you've got all the really interesting people. And these are people who are 
geographically flexible. They want to build a business. They're just open to, um, you know, being a bit flexible about how you do that. And I think ours is the first generation in history that's really had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for example, I'm, I'm in Argentina at the moment. Um, I'm in Buenos Aires. Uh, my Spanish is terrible. It's slightly better, but it's, it's still terrible. Um, but the thing about Argentina is that um, people here finish university. They've got several degrees. They come out and they have a job that makes them two or 300 US dollars a month. And that's a good full-time job here. Wow. So you can get, and, and, and some of them speak better English than I do. I'm, I'm Australian, so my level of English is always <laughs> going to be terrible. But, uh, but you can get really good people for not a lot of money here. So I'm, I'm, I'm building out a team here. And, and, um, and, and so that, that means they can earn more money than they'd be able to working locally. Yeah. I can save some cash. We can pass it on to our, to our customers, uh, especially with the, the, the cold email service. Um, and the whole thing works, works really nicely. Um, the, so, so being able to, being geographically flexible, I think is an advantage, especially when you're young. So mm. if you've got, you know, kids and a family and a house and all that kind of stuff, you, you don't have that flexibility. Mm. And I think, I think there are a lot of disadvantages to starting a business when you're young, but one of the major advantages that you have is you can just up and leave. Um, there's, a, there's an answer I've got on, on Quora, Quora is still a thing. Um, it's probably <laughs> the, the, the top one that I've ever written. And um, someone was, was asking about whether they should go to uni- university or whether they should do something else. And I said, no, what you should do is uh, if, if, if you've got, I think they inherited like $100,000 or something. They wanted to As know what do. to do with it. <laughs> well, well, if, if you do, yeah. good on you. But most of us have, have university debt, right? So we've, <laughs> we've sunk 100 yeah. grand into something. Um, but I said, go, go to Thailand. Go and, go and spend a year in Thailand. Just meet all the entrepreneurs, all the expats there, all the digital nomads, learn from them. What are they doing? Pick up, you know, learn, learn how to do digital marketing, learn how to code, learn how to do, learn some real life valuable business skills that you're not going to learn from university. Um, You can do a whole bunch of courses and lose a whole bunch of money on Facebook ads and spend a year in Thailand and it will still cost you less money than a university degree. And I think you're going to learn a hell of a lot more in, in, in that time period. But, um, but I think that's, that's a useful thing to, to bear in mind too. If, if, you are, uh, uh, if you are young and you are thinking about starting a business, um, you don't have to do it from a first world country. And, and the world is a lot smaller than what you think. You get to just about every country on earth now, anyone under the age of 30 will speak a little bit of English. It's enough to get by. Between that and Google Translate, you're fine. Uh, Airbnb, you can find a place to stay that's got pretty stable internet easily enough. Um, you know, the, the, it's just so much easier now to be able to do this stuff than, than it was before. Um, as long as you've got a laptop and an internet connection, the world's your oyster. And mm-hmm. um, so, so the advice that I give a lot of young entrepreneurs is like, go and pick a cheap country move there, give yourself a year to get something off the ground. Um, and, and look, if you don't make it work, everybody takes a gap year, right? It's just that you're spending that gap year learning probably more than you would. Practical real life skills. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and there's a lot of um, self-reliance that comes from living in a foreign country where you don't speak the language because you have to make something fly. There's, there's no, no one else to blame. You can't move back in with, with mum and dad, you know, like you have to make this work. And I think you, you, you grow quite a lot if you were to do that. So that's, that's one bit of advice that I, I'd yeah, it's amazing. I think a lot of uh, our listeners as well, we are thinking about either do we start university, do our own business uh, or even quit in university. You know, there's a lot of people shifting towards starting their own business now, especially sort of young, sort of younger than 22 age. But uh, just to, just to finish everything off, Ryan, is there one resource or book that you would recommend to students now who want to start their own business that has helped you personally in the past? 
So it's it's a little bit out of date now. So take take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I still can't go past um, Tim Ferriss and the, the the four hour work week. I still think that's that's a classic. But take it with a grain of salt. Some of the examples that he give, you know, like Google Ads cost a hell of a lot more than five cents a click now. But as as a guiding principle, I think that's that's a phenomenal. There, there were two books that I carried with me around the world. Um, the other one was was The Art of War by Sun Tzu, but that's just yeah, of course, that's classic. But but but. Um, for four hour work week, I think is something I've, I've read and reread a thousand times now. Four hour work week, Tim. I mean, Tim Ferriss has a lot of podcast material, has a lot of amazing guests on his show as well. Uh, I think he's got a great website. What we'll do is we'll put a link in the forum pages uh, of this podcast. Uh, and also your LinkedIn profile. I'm sure that a lot of people will be interested to, to learn more about yourself. But Ryan, thank you so much. And uh, I think I've definitely learned a lot as well when it comes to developing communities. So uh, until next week, keep learning, get earning. <laughs>